KYA is sponsored by Remember Reading. Remember Reading is a literary podcast hosted by HarperCollins about classic children's and YA books and their long-lasting impacts on readers and authors. In each episode, we sit down with authors and guests like Tiffany D. Jackson, Meg Cabot, and Julie Murphy to uncover the stories behind books like Monster by Walter Jean Myers, Dumplin' by Julie Murphy, The Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, and more, diving into the special magic that makes each book timeless. New episodes hit monthly. Welcome to Hey YA, from great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Erica Ezefetti. We are recording on September 13th, 2021. How are you? Doing pretty well, Kelly. How are you? Same, same. Lots of reading, finally. I feel like I have not been reading a whole lot mm-hmm. lately, and then this weekend I blew through two titles. So, oh wow, yeah, it was it was a nice change of pace. That's funny. I'm like kind of the exact opposite. <laughs> like, oh yeah, before like a week or two ago, I was like reading, yeah, pretty pretty steadily. And this week, for some reason, I just haven't. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but ever since the pandemic began, this I promise is not like a pandemic reading, promise. you know, yeah, conversation. <laughs> um, I feel like I've really noticed the like dips and the crests when it comes to reading, mm-hmm. and have been way more willing to like celebrate the little victories. Yeah. You know, like I read two books this weekend, and that felt great. You know, and other times where I'm like, okay, I haven't read a book in a week. Mm-hmm. That's also okay. Yeah, that's true. You do have to like, because it's also like if you're really not in the mood to read and you force yourself, it's like kind of not fair to the book. Like you might not like Mm -hmm. it because you're just like, you know, not in the right headspace for it. So no, yeah. Surprisingly, the pandemic has kind of made me more self-aware with certain things and like more forgiving of myself for certain things. It's like silver lining to the mess that it is yeah Mm -hmm. it's like there are very few but that's one is just like this heightened self-awareness and also uh self-protectiveness yes you know like I don't want to say self-care because that's not right but like a protectiveness of of your time and your energy and what's worth it yeah I and I love that I feel like we're moving towards that as a um kind of like as a society I don't know if it's just our generation but because I speak to our generation more than other people, but I do like that we're moving towards like, okay, kind of like what you just said, like, I didn't do this today. This is something that I like to do usually. And I used to feel guilty about not doing it, but you know, things come in waves and mm-hmm. you know, there's, there are like valleys and hills and that's fine. So yeah, yeah, I'm for it. I always feel like saying that kind of stuff is a permission slip for people who are still worried that they can't have these experiences or find themselves being stressed out about something like reading Mm -hmm. you know I haven't read in two weeks and I used to read you know 10 books it's like well we're very different people now than we were you know 18 months ago different people than we were six months ago so it's you know like you can mourn that but also like accept that things are just different and and that's not good or bad when it comes to something like your reading life it's just different yeah Exactly. Well said, Kelly. 
<laughs> Perfectly said. Yes. All of that. Let's hit our show because we've got a lot to talk about we like, do. in a good way. Yes. So first, our first sponsor is the audiobook of The Last Legacy by Adrian Young, read by Susie Jackson. New York Times bestselling author Adrian Young returns with The Last Legacy audiobook, a captivating standalone about family and blood ties, reinventing yourself and controlling your own destiny. When a letter from her uncle arrives on Bryn Roth's 18th birthday, she's eager to prove herself and finally take her place in her long-lost family, one of the most notorious criminal families that ever lived. The Last Legacy is set in the same world as Fable and will expand on beloved secondary characters. A fast-paced and delightful romance is full of scandal, high fashion, and intrigue with a Victorian twist. The audiobook is read by Susie Jackson. And again, thank you to the audiobook of The Last Legacy by Adrian Young. So we will uh, start this episode by talking about YA books by and about Latinx people because Latinx Heritage Month kicks off today Ooh. when the show airs. Yeah. yeah. I will put this in the show notes, but this fall there is a Latinx teen book festival happening online. This is their second year, I believe. Um, And so I will link to the details in the show notes for readers who want to discover more authors as well as to attend what I believe is a free event. Um, So get to know a whole bunch of great literature. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah, definitely. So my first one is called Simone Breaks All the Rules by Debbie Rougeau. Um, So Simone Thibodeau is the dutiful daughter to a pair of Haitian immigrants, and she's ready to break free. She's a senior in high school that goes to um, an all-girls Catholic high school. She makes stellar grades, loves to play basketball. She even got admitted to Rutgers through early decision. Shout out to Jersey. Hey, girl. (laughs) But all this isn't enough to convince her super strict parents to let her live on campus for college or even for her to pick her own prom date. While they will surely want her to go with a nice Haitian boy, Tim, she has someone totally different in mind who she's sure they would not approve of. Simone teams up with some other fellow late bloomers, and together they make a senior bucket list with the hopes of coming into their own in their final year of high school. Some things on the list include kissing a boy, sneaking out of the house, and skipping class. The horror. There's some great immigrant representation in the form of Simone's Haitian culture, as well as her friend's Indian culture. Again, that is Simone Breaks All the Rules by Debbie Rougeau. My first pick is Fat Chance, Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. And this is easily one of my favorite books from this year. And since it came out so many months ago, I suspect still hasn't hit as many radars as it deserves to. And for listeners who want to know more about the book or the author, we did a Hey YA extra credit episode in February that I again will link to in the show notes. So this is a story about a fat Latina girl who wants nothing more than to have a boyfriend. And it's the kind of slice of life story that just feels good to read. It's a quiet, lower stakes YA that gives a glimpse into the life of a fat brown girl living in the suburbs as she navigates accepting herself and the pressures from her mother and to society more broadly, telling her she needs to shrink herself down or always be seen as second best. Charlie's best friend Amelia is a pansexual black girl and Brian, who is one of the two love interests, is Korean. So the the theme of this book is finding one's own voice and Charlie's writing which she's a writer, uh, works really well without overtaking the story. What she really, really wants is to have her first kiss and accept herself. And on the way to both, she'll have stumbling blocks and 
I really felt like her observations and astute understanding of being in that space between what she deeply believes and what she's told she should believe just rang so true. Uh, easily one of the best fat girl YAs I've read. And then it's super, super intersectional. So again, this is a romance. You'll see a happily ever after. And in no way, this is maybe my favorite part, does Charlie end up sacrificing who she is for that happily ever after. And that is Fat Chance, Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. That's actually definitely on my list. (laughs) And I think it's interesting how you say like she's told to shrink down. I think there's definitely a conversation in there about how women and girls and femme presenting people are like kind of told to take up less space. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like there's this like popular kind of like meme or whatever that's been going around where. It shows like a girl on the edge of a guy's bed. I guess it's like, oh, the the caption is like when she first comes over your house. And it's just like this joke that women try to take up as little space as possible when we're like not feeling confident. Mm -hmm. So or in, you know, a different situation or something. So I think that's an interesting thing and probably at least partially part of the anti-fat and like fat phobia. Totally. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like how dare you take up space? You girl child. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So my next one is Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet by Lacanzia Kemp. So this fit in well with some of the the foodie books we uh, spoke about like a few weeks ago. It's about Penelope Prado who dreams of opening her own bakery next to her family's restaurant. Her family, meanwhile, have other hopes for her and want her to go to college. She has to decide to follow her passion or the hopes of her traditional Mexican family. Then there's Xander Amaro, who is living with his grandfather and is from Puebla, Mexico. He's also undocumented. He came to the U.S. to find a new home and look for his dad, who had left for Texas when Xander was still a boy. Working at Penelope's restaurant provides him a sense of belonging and family that he's sorely missing and has been looking for, basically. Uh, Together, Penelope and Xander struggle to find themselves, figure out first love, what family means to them, and they also struggle to attend to their mental health. Oh, and the food descriptions in here are (laughs) fire, or should I say fuego? (laughs) I don't speak Spanish, so y'all gonna have to struggle with me my struggle Spanish. I love Mexican food, so it had me opening up Grubhub and, you know, trying to do some damage, (laughs) so... So good. Okay. Um, Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet by Lacan Zaya Kemp. My next pick is Tigers Not Daughters by Samantha Mabry. And I talk about this particular book quite a lot, but it's what I really enjoy and think hits so many interesting topics and themes. And and it plays with really familiar storylines while mixing them into something completely new. So this is a light retelling of King Lear and Little Women. So uh, Mabry writes three beautiful sisters, and each is dealing with the loss of their older sister, Anna, in some way. Jessica is trying to become Anna. Iridan uh, reads her sister's books and is attempting to write stories like those. And Rosa is trying to connect with the beating hearts of the living world of creatures around her. And these are all their coping mechanisms. But the truth is, Anna isn't gone. Her ghost is what keeps the girls connected and fighting the power, which is attempting to keep them down. Uh, readers who love Nova Rensuma will love this, not just for the writing, but the really clever weaving of a ghost story within a story of sisterhood. It's a 
book about the desire to escape, but also the pull, both chosen and not chosen, that keeps girls tied to the places where they are. It's a super literary, genre-blended read and one that just is fabulous and, and also fabulous use of magical realism mm. as a genre, which uh, Sam Mabry is so good at. And that is Tigers Not Daughters by Samantha Mabry. It's always interesting hearing your choices because I'm like, I like all of them. So like me saying it after each one, it's like, okay, Erica, you said that already, but that sounds really good. I love magical (laughs) realism. Wow. Okay. All right. So my next read is Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. Mm. So (laughs) yes. I love this one. Yes. Let me hop back into my witchy bag real quick. You know, (laughs) been trying to, you know, look at some other things, but as we said before, you know, it's the time for, um, you know, the witching time. Um, So Mila Flores is fat Mexican-American and a practicing amateur witch, all things that make her an outcast in the small town of Cross Creek. Luckily, she has the company of Riley, her best friend, and the daughter to funeral home directors. One day, Riley is found drowned in what appears to be a string of suicides that includes two other mean girls from their high school. Mila refuses to believe that Riley would kill herself and sets out to get to the bottom of what really happened with the help of an ancient looking book of spells that mysteriously showed up, which if you have a an ancient grimoire show up at your door, obviously you have to do the spells out of it, <laughs> clearly, like nothing bad would ever come of that. Okay, so against the advice of her wicked mentor, Toby, she uses a spell that raises the dead, and with it brings back Riley and the two other girls to figure out who really killed them. Unfortunately, they have dead brain, which I wonder if it's similar to Monday brain. Uh, (laughs) Side note, Uh, they have dead brain and don't remember who killed them. She has to corral the girls as she tries to find out who murdered them before that murderer kills again. Oh, and she only has seven days with them before the girls return to being dead. So no pressure or anything, you know. Um, This totally ticks off a few boxes for me personally. It's witchy. It's got a main character of color who is fat and unapologetically herself and also a nice murder mystery. So um, again, that's Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. That one is so much fun. Just a very fun read. Yes, so fun. (laughs) My next pick is Dark Room, a memoir in black and white by Lila Quintero Weaver. And I'll start by saying I haven't read this one, but I really want to because it sounds way up my alley. So This is a memoir, and in 1961, Lila and her family moved from Argentina to Marion, Alabama, which is deep in the state's black belt. She and her family were educated, middle-class, and Latinx, and they've moved to a place that was deeply segregated at the height of key moments in the civil rights movement. So because of her privilege, uh, Lila was a witness to these moments in ways she wouldn't be otherwise, and the story is about her youth and growing up in such an unsettling, challenging, and yet privileged place, trying to understand what it means to be an immigrant in a new country and what it means to be in a space where she's neither black nor white during deep segregation. This is a black and white graphic novel, and it really highlights the moment of time and perspective with this color palette. And that is Dark Room, a memoir in black and white by Lila Quintero Weaver. Okay, awesome. So my next one is... How Moon Fuentes Fell in Love with the Universe by Raquel Vasquez Gilliand. So Moon Fuentes is 17 and used to being in her beautiful twin sister Star's shadow. When Star lands a job for a summer charity tour as a religious influencer promoting purity, Moon tags along as a merch girl. 
She finds herself traversing the country with a group of beautiful influencers and feels resigned to her fate of being a size 16 wallflower. Although she still has dreams of going to art school at Tulane and designing a tarot card deck, which I mean... I would hang out with Moon. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> she sounds fun. Uh, Santiago, on the other hand, is a grumpy presence that Moon has to put up with who she's pretty sure hates her. Although he's also like absolutely stunning. So the circumstances of the summer tour bring them in constant proximity of each other. And of course, their animosity eventually turns into something else. Through Vasquez Gilliland's luscious prose, we witness Moon as she begins to realize that her destiny as an unloved wallflower is not set in stone. Again, that is How Moon Fuentes Fell in Love with the Universe by Raquel Vasquez Gilliland. And my last pick is a brand new book. It's Indivisible by Daniel Aleman, and it sounds super timely, relevant, and also terrifying. So the story follows Mateo and his sister, Sophia, Sophie, excuse me who grew up knowing that at any time deportation was a reality, given that their parents are undocumented. But they have been in the U.S. for a long time, and that fear, though it's still present, has certainly waned. Um, Mom and dad had American-born children and have really stepped into the role as great neighbors and great employees. Then Mateo comes home from school one day and learns his parents have been taken by ICE and the realities that he'd been taught to worry about have come true. So now his parents' fate and his own become priority. So Mateo has to figure out how to save them, save his sister and himself. Many readers already um, brought in by the synopsis and the fact the author was himself born and raised in Mexico will be even more eager to pick this one up, knowing that the main character is also gay, as is his best friend. So there's there's a lot of heavy stuff in this one, but mm-hmm. it sounds like a super essential read. And that is Indivisible by Daniel Aleman. Definitely. That one's also on my list. Sounds <laughs> like really vital. So with that, we can get into our second sponsor, which is Edie In Between by Laura Sibson. Edie In Between, Laura Sibson's newest YA novel, is a story of love, loss, and embracing the mystical. Edie's mom has died, but her ghost has never left. When a mysterious journal tumbles into Edie's life, she engages the help of friends to discover the source of a malevolent magic before it consumes her. For fans of Practical Magic, The Lost Coast, and These Witches Won't Burn, Edie in between delivers all the cozy magic that a budding young witch might just need right now. Again, thanks to Edie in between by Laura Simpson. I really love that phrase, cozy mm. magic. Yes, it is cozy. It's comforting. I like it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that is a nice phrase. Hmm. So <laughs> now we're about to get into YA memoirs to read ASAP. Kelly, would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah. I was super excited when you suggested this because mm-hmm. I was like, we need to do some something with nonfiction, yeah. but I couldn't put my finger on like what I wanted to do. Yeah. So when you brought up memoirs, I was like, perfect. So my first pick is called I Was Their American Dream by Malika Garib. And it's a really fabulous graphic memoir of growing up as the daughter of a Muslim Egyptian father and a Catholic Filipino mother. Ultimately, they divorce and Malika's father moves back to Egypt. So both her cultural and religious heritages influence her formative years. And as she navigates an extremely diverse population in her California high school, Malika finds herself obsessed with all things white. And this book digs into how that influenced her future. It's insightful, it's funny, and it's packed with heart. It's a memoir 
about being the daughter of an immigrant that doesn't skimp on really smart art. The illustrations are light. They make really smart use of red, white, and blue. And um, some reviewers, I was reading this one, seemed to like miss that clever nod to the color palette. But it's very clearly intentional yeah. why this is in red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Read this one alongside Almost American Girl, which I believe you're going to talk about. Yep. The complete... Persepolis, and uh, also Tina's Mouth, an existential comic diary, among other graphic memoirs of teen first-generation American experiences, which we are getting so many of these, Mm -hmm. and I love them. Uh, Again, that was I Was There American Dream by Malika Garib. Yes, I actually didn't even notice you mentioned an almost almost American girl, but it fits so well. And what an interesting uh, mix of (laughs) cultures here. Yeah. I'm like, okay. sure. Yeah, I wonder what that, like, what does that plate look like? Like their table at dinner time. (laughs) Yeah, and you just think, like, talking about intersectionality, like, how many intersections does this one experience encompass? And it's like, it was just very cool. And to then see that and how she found herself so attached to, like, white pop culture Mm -hmm. and, like, what that said about being in this place of so many cultural heritages and influences was fascinating. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, a few of the books we're talking about today deal with immigrants and immigration. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting. Well, like personally, like my mother is American, her family's American, but my dad is an immigrant. And so some of this, you know, a lot of this rings true. I think it's interesting being an immigrant of color. There's this, you know, desire to assimilate. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. part of being an immigrant because it's like, there's like this subconscious question I feel that it's like, okay, well, if you're going to immigrate to a, immigrate to a country, you should assimilate to the culture. But then it's like, sometimes that kind of becomes conflated with like putting down your own culture in a way, what, mm-hmm. just as far as what I've seen. So it's interesting. I say that because Malika um, becomes obsessed with white things. And, you know, that's something definitely people of color have noticed in other people of color, like this kind of, I guess, how would I phrase it? Tendency to sell out, I guess, for a lack of a better term at the moment. But it's just, Mm -hmm. it's all like, you know, a lot of times people come back to kind of embracing their immigrant culture or their, you know, parents' culture and also American culture. But it's an interesting like thing to talk about. So my first book for YA memoirs is The Beautiful Struggle by ta Coates. And this was just released uh, earlier this year. Um, it was adapted from the same book, well, the book with the same title by Ta-Nehisi Coates, a best-selling memoir of his. So in it, we learn about what it was like to share many siblings by a tough-loving father while growing up in the crumbling city of Baltimore in the 80s. Coates' father was a Vietnam vet, a Black Panther, and a staunch believer in teaching his children Black history and preparing them for how they would be treated in their own country. This is a lyrical and almost kind of like it has kind of like stream of conscious vibes, kind of like not entirely, but I kind of got that like kind of flowy feel as I was reading it, especially in the beginning. It feels like a teen to preteen boy growing up in the 80s. It like feels like being in the mind of someone who, you know, has those identities. The monsters he encounters are some that may have been in the most popular like shows and comics of the day. Uh, in the beginning, Coates talks of orcs chasing him down and KRS-One playing as a backdrop to his life. And this made it more engaging and did a really good job of showing how his mind was at the time, as I mentioned just a second ago, um, how his mind at the time was in like interpreting things. I also love a line 
where Coates described himself as, quote, cupcakes and comic books at the core, end quote, Mm. because same. Yeah. (laughs) I don't read comics as much, but I would just, you know, take out comic and just put all types of books. I'm definitely cupcakes and books at the core. (laughs) So again, that is The Beautiful Struggle, Young Reader's Edition by ta Coates. My next pick is We Are Not Broken by George M. Johnson. And super excited. I've got this one loaded on my audiobook to listen. Mm -hmm. I I listened to Johnson's All Boys Aren't Blue in that format and don't want to miss the chance to listen to them read it for their next memoir. Um, So this is a story of growing up as a black boy in America raised by a deeply devoted grandmother. George lives with Nanny alongside siblings Garrett, Rawl, and Rasul and becomes close. They are all close, of course, and they become really close with their grandma as they navigate childhood through racism, life at the family barbershop, romances, losses, and more. And I think what makes this particular book special is that it's really a poignant look at Black boyhood specifically and the deep passion these children had for their grandmother as interspersed throughout the narrative are letters that each of these children wrote to Nanny that are both heartbreaking and heartwarming. And that is We Are Not Broken by George M. Johnson. Oh, they she wrote letters to them. That's so cute. <laughs> uh, they wrote letters to her. Oh, okay. Letters from, yeah. oh, from her. Okay. That's super yeah. cute. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That is so sweet. All right, let me compose myself. All right. <laughs> the next book is Almost American Girl by Robin Hodge. You mentioned earlier. Um, this is a softly colored graphic novel about a Korean-born girl's sudden move to Huntsville, Alabama, which, sis, I feel for you because... <laughs> <laughs> That's a change. That's a bit of a change. Um, she moves there with her mother. So 14-year-old Chuna goes on a trip to America with her mom that suddenly turns into an extended permanent stay when her mom confesses to her that she'll be marrying a man and that they're not going back to Korea. And I'm like, you know, mom, that was a little shady, but we're going to forgive you. That's, a, you know, that was a little much. Tuna experiences all the shock and devastation that would come with such a sudden change, but ultimately realizes her mother struggled to do what's best for both of them. Tuna, now Robin, trades being bullied for having only one parent in Korea to being bullied for being Asian in Alabama. Oh, and then there's also the fact that she's never seeing her friends again, must say goodbye to her beloved Korean comics, and doesn't exactly feel supported by her new stepfamily, the Kims. Robin Ha uses sepia tones to explore memories in Korea in this coming-of-age story about moving to a country where you don't even speak the language. Again, that's Almost American Girl by Robin Ha. She had a tough, tough break. Yeah, I, I love that book. It was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Definitely really good. My next pick is one that is coming out soon, and it is On Top of Glass by Karina Manta. Sports books are always my jam, as are memoirs, and whenever the chance to combine these two is possible, you can count me in. So that's really what makes Monta's memoir on my radar. It comes out October 19th. So she is a U.S. figure skating champion and one of the first female skaters to come out publicly as queer. She's bisexual. Uh, So this book digs into the experience of growing up queer, about life as a figure skater, body image, and wrestling with the quote-unquote norms of femininity in the public eye, experience of of anxiety and panic attacks, and what it is to grow up knowing that you're not what people expect and yet 
you need to perform for those very people. This sounds a lot like a book readers who love professional athletes turned published authors like Allie Reisman and Abby Wambach will love. Figure skating is weirdly an underrepresented sport in YA fiction. I can think of a couple and I can think of the other graphic memoir on figure skating and queerness, which is Spinning by Tilly Walden. So this will have a ton of appeal to readers itching for more stories from the ice, as well as stories of people coming to understand themselves and the challenge of what one perceives as a delicate figure skater versus what they see in reality as someone who is far more complex than that image. And that is On Top of Glass by Karina Manta. That's a shame. I really loved figure skating when I was younger. So I don't yeah, know what too. their what their deal is to get that together. <laughs> right more. I mean, well, I guess, well, in this country, anyway, I don't hear too much about figure skating these days, but I used to really love it. All right. So my next one is Brave Face, a memoir by Sean David Hutchinson. So content warning, this involves a lot of talk of self-loathing and depression, homophobia, and suicidal ideation. So in this, Hutchinson recounts his experiences when he was 19 and trying to come to grips with what it meant for him to be gay. It seems like there's something underlying his life that is unsettling him. He can't put it into words until he starts writing and realizes that he is in fact gay. Instead of this revelation turning into a time of like self-love and understanding and learning, He actually sees it as a reason for his self-loathing and believes what society says about him and his ilk, I guess, which is that he is unworthy of love and must fit into a flamboyant Hollywood stereotype. Eventually, after living with depression for so long, he does make an attempt on his life and he is luckily unsuccessful and over time comes to figure out who he wants to be within the queer community. It's a very honest and brave showing of one of the many reasons why representation is so important. And I think even the order of us speaking about this, Kelly, is interesting because on top of Glass, she mentioned how she was trying to, you know, she just wasn't meeting the expectations that other people had for her. And I think mm-hmm. with Brave Face Hutchinson talking about these expectations that he was seeing for what it meant to be gay and how like another point of depression for him kind of was like, he doesn't meet those expectations. So where does he Mm -hmm. fit within all of it? And I just think, again, it's, it's, you know, one of the reasons why representation is so important because, you know, we can do away with harmful stereotypes and showing, you know, there's a more multifaceted and complex, how, how multifaceted and complex we all are, no matter what identities we identify as. For sure. For sure. My last pick is another one that comes out soon. It's A Face for Picasso by Ariel Henry. It hit shelves November 2nd, and I have been really looking forward to this one for a long time. It's a necessary addition to the tiny, tiny shelf of disability nonfiction in YA. So it's a memoir about Ariel and her twin sister, Zan, who were the first twins known to survive a Crusen syndrome diagnosis at the age of eight months old. It's a rare syndrome that causes facial disfigurement as the bones in the head prematurely fuse and the girls experience numerous surgeries throughout their young lives to try to survive this syndrome. So 
Ariel's memoir is about the physical, emotional, and mental experiences of life with their disability, as well as what it is to develop a deep sisterly bond, uh, what beauty and resilience look like, and more. And if you haven't peeped the cover of this one, you should. It's really cool. They use Ariel as the model, and I absolutely love that. And this is A Face for Picasso by Ariel Henry. It comes out November 2nd. Yeah, we definitely need so much more disability nonfiction and just disability fiction all around as well. Mm -hmm. So my last book is Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Onwachi. This is another adaption for young readers that came from a um, just, I guess, regular fiction, adult fiction, um, nonfiction, excuse me. (laughs) It's a memoir. Okay, so Kwame grew up splitting time between New York City, Louisiana, and Nigeria, which is quite the combination. His time in the Bronx as a child was tough, but he turned away from certain other activities kids in his neighborhood were doing. Instead, he would do things like sell candy on the subway to start his own company, his own catering company, and um, like cook and stuff. He loved cooking. So this entrepreneurial spirit would eventually lead him to the Top Chef show, show um, Top Chef Stardom, and being listed on Forbes and Zagat 30 Under 30. He has solidified his position as a fine dining chef, which is no fault, small feat as a Black American in the industry. Here's another one for the foodies. And I had to say that I don't see enough talk about Nigerian cuisine. It's mm. really good. I mm. will say, I'm going to keep it a buck. It definitely looks different to Western eyes or just anyone who's not used to looking at it, but it's super good. I love fufu, jollof rice, all the things, <laughs> all, all everything. <laughs> so this definitely had me, you know, itching to make something and go buy something from a Nigerian restaurant near me. Again, that is Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Onwachi. And I think that's kind of what we have for today. Yeah, Totally. Uh, Do you want to take us out? Yeah, definitely. Um, So thank you for tuning in this week. Please leave feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts to let us know how we're doing and help others find us. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish, including our insiders program. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thanks to our awesome auditor, editor, Jen Zink. You can follow Kelly on Instagram at heykellyjensen and Erica on Twitter at Erica, that is E-R-I-C-A underscore E-Z-E underscore. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Happy reading. Yes.